Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. We've been in a series for 12 weeks called Heart Matters. And about the last four weeks, we've been talking about how God wants us to have a generous heart. That where our treasure is, our heart will be also. That our hearts, that, that part of us, that inward part of us, that guides every decision of our life. That part of us that is where our mind, our will, our emotions, our spirit, where all of the things inside of us that move us, where they intersect. That part of us inside of us that can either steer us really wrongly or steer us on a right path, the heart. We've been talking about the importance of having our hearts in the right place. Now, in our society, people will say things like, just follow your heart and everything will be great. And I just want to tell you that that is the worst advice you could ever follow in your life. Because if your heart hasn't been redeemed, and if your heart hasn't been healed and restored, and you haven't been given a new heart in Christ, your heart will guide you in all kinds of funky directions. And it'll get you in a whole bunch of messes. But if your heart is redeemed, and it's being filled with the Spirit and the Word, and your mind is being renewed, and you recognize, I've been given a new heart by God, and you, you do a good job of keeping it in a good place with God, that heart will help guide your life in the right direction, and you can glorify God. So it's not like your heart is just bad and it will always be bad. Christ came to redeem our hearts, amen? And he wants to redeem our hearts so that we can choose well and choose right and move in the right direction. And one of the things we've been talking about when it comes to the heart is how Um, money and work and life and the stewardship of our time, our talents, and our treasures can affect our heart. And we're going to continue that today, and I want to share with you a message. I'm calling it, A Generous Life is a Rewarded Life. And I want to show you today how God wants to bless your life through you. He wants to bring, He'll bring it to you because He knows it can go through you. He wants your lives to be conduits of his grace on earth. He wants your life to impact people. And the stewardship, the management of your time, your talents, and your treasures to bring honor and glory to his name and make the world better. How many of you want some of that? Amen. So I want to start with this point, and this is just to lay the foundation, but I want to talk about the reason we live generously. The reason we live generously, and it's right here in Romans 8.32. Notice it with me. In fact, will you read this out loud with me? It's on the screen. Romans 8.32. Here we go. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Did you catch that? No, you didn't. I can tell. Nobody's going, what? Now, now, let me read it again, and this time, just listen to it. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
You got it that time. Now think about what this text is saying. This text is saying God didn't spare his own son, but he gave him up for us. You have to understand that Jesus is heaven's highest, greatest, most beautiful, most glorious gift. That the Father, everything the Father delights in can be found in the Son. And so when God the Father gave his Son, he said, I love my creation so much that I'm giving my best. And he gave us his Son. And it also shows us that if God won't spare his own Son... He won't hold back whatever we need to accomplish his will in life. Think about that. Some of us think we're never going to have enough. Not just money, but time, talents, abilities. And here's the reality. The reason sometimes we don't have the resources we need internally and externally is because we're doing things God never created us to do and there is no grace, there is no provision for us doing our own thing. But when our lives align with the will of God and we give ourselves to His purpose, God will give us everything that we ever need throughout the course of our life, and we'll have more than enough. We'll have much to share. Amen. And then it also says we can be generous. This gives us the idea that we can be generous with everything because he's given us everything. You see, here's the thing. Being a follower of Jesus is not about me saying, God, look at what I'm doing. I'm going to do these things and hope I'll make you happy, and if I make you happy and I do it well enough, you'll favor my life and you'll give back to me. See, that's pagan worship. Remember, the ancient pagans and man-made religions always believed that if they brought enough sacrifices and enough gifts to their God, they could make their gods happy, and their gods would give them favorable harvests, bless their life with material goods, make sure that they were able to have children. They believed that if they could just appease the gods, the gods would favor them. And I'm afraid that many Christians live that way. They live as though if I do enough that's good and I make God happy and I do enough, then I can twist God's arm and I can make him favor me and he'll bless my life. That's not the gospel. That's not Christianity. That's pagan worship. Here's the gospel. God wouldn't even spare his own son, but he freely gave him up for us all. And because he gave up his son for us, he's willing to add with his son and in his son all we need to become everything he wants us to be and accomplish all he wants us to accomplish in life. So I want to tell you right now in Christ, you have all you will ever need. So the question is, is our life aligning with God's will for us, with God's purpose, Right? Amen? Is anybody alive? So that takes me to my first point today, and that is that a generous life, a responsive life back to God, includes everything. Everything that we are, time, talents, and treasures. Now, this past week, I put this text up on Facebook, and I asked some questions that went along with it. I don't know if any of you saw that, but we're going to go into Matthew 25, 14 through 30. I'm going to read this text, and, um, and then I'm going to just make some comments on it. So notice this with me, Matthew 25, 14 through 30. It's not going to be on the screen, so go ahead and make sure you got it on some kind of device. And uh, is there anybody that doesn't have a way to look on? Anybody in the room at all that doesn't have a way to look at the, the Bible right now? Look at um, either on your device or... Has everybody got something? 
25, 14 through 30. Now listen, if you can't see a Bible or you can't look on on a phone, I want you to tap your neighbor on the shoulder and say, can I look on with you? And if they're mean to you, I want you to tell me after the service, okay? <laughs> I'm going to get Vinny to take care of them. Okay, here we go. Matthew 25, 14. Are we there? Here we go. Now, Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, what it means to live in the kingdom right now. And he says this in verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Did you catch that? To each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once, notice that, and traded with them, and he made five talents more. He invested, he traded, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming you should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, sometimes when you read the Bible, you say, amen. And other times when you read the Bible, you say, oh, man. And that was an oh man section right at the end, wasn't it? Wow. And by the way, if you've ever embraced the idea that Jesus was just this sweet guy that let anything go and he was cool, you know, he'd smoke a little weed and then be like, yeah, man, whatever. Dude, we just love, love, love. Everything's, everything's good. It's all right. And that's not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible had some pretty rough stuff to say at times. And there was reason for it. Amen. So now let's look at a few things here. First of all, what are talents? Talents were a measurement that were used with precious metals, and they were, they were like money. And, and so 
in the parable, a parable is a story to teach us kingdom truths. In this parable, the talents represent the stewardship, the management of all that God has given you in life. Not just money, your time, your talents, your treasures, your breath, your heartbeat. Really, whatever you do, your job, your family, your relationships, all that's been entrusted to you by God is the investment of Him to you. And in the, in the story, the master is God, and we are the servants, right? And you'll notice that um, we've been given a new life. I mean, think about it. If you're a Christian, you've been given a new life. You've been, well, let's start here. You've been given life. Right? You drew breath. You're alive here right now. You have so many days on earth. You've been given life. You've been given time. You've been given a new life if you're a Christian. You've been given God's kingdom. You've been given relationships. You've been given the Holy Spirit and gifts. You've been given a good mind. You've been given a body to labor. Whatever you've been given, whatever you take for granted, that's a gift from God. And then you'll notice that some people receive more than others. We're called to be faithful with whatever we've received not with what others have received. And this is really important because I'm going to tell you one of the biggest traps of any human being is the trap of comparison. Because comparison leads to envy and jealousy and discontentment. Right? When we're looking around all the time and we're sizing up our life to someone else's life, we have fallen into a terrible trap. Right? Isn't it something? I mean, I don't know why. I don't know why some people have seem to be just blessed and bestowed with gifts and talents and abilities and others not so much. But when we stand before God, it's not going to be like, okay, just because you got a lot, you're better or you have a better standing. We're going to stand before God and give an account of the management of whatever has been given to us, whatever it's been. We will all give an account to our master God for how we've invested what he's given us. Hebrews 9.27 says this. This is a pretty heavy-duty text. Listen to this. Hebrews 9.27. It is appointed unto men and women once to die and then to face judgment. Did you hear what I just said? It is appointed unto men and women once to die and then to face judgment. So every human being is going to come to the end of their life, and how many of you know it goes by really fast? And none of us know how much time we have. And we're going to stand before God, and we're going to give an account of our lives, what was entrusted to us. If you're a follower of Jesus, your sins won't be counted against you, but your entrustment and your management of what God gave you, he will, he will measure it. He will look at it, right? Okay, so whatever has been given to us, we will make an account for, because here's the thing. Nothing that you have belongs to you. And if there's any truth you can learn as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, is that um, it's better just to take the word mine or my and maybe banish it from your language. It's my life. No, it's not. The scripture says you've been purchased with blood, the precious blood of the lamb, not with silver or gold. You see, none of us in this room own ourselves. Even if we, you might be an atheist, you might be sitting here today and all this God stuff is crap to you and church stuff is just a bunch of organized man-made religion garbage and you don't want anything to do with it and that's fine. God knows right where you're at and he loves you anyway. That's called grace. He's just looking at you going, it's okay. It's all right. It's not like God's like, I'm really upset because they don't believe in me, right? But here's the reality. The reality is, is that even you belong to God. 
And one day, we're going to stand before him, and we're going to find out that those talents, those abilities, the, the gifts you have, the breath you have, the heartbeat you have, all of it was a gift from him. Whoa. So he wants us to take the risks, right, that life puts before us to make a return on his investment. And if we invest well, that means we're investing into loving God and loving people. You want me to tell you the best investment? It's not in the stock market. It's not in precious metals. It's not in anything else that you can think of on this planet that you think is a really good investment. The greatest investment that you could ever be a part of is investing in first and foremost, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and secondly, loving your neighbor as yourself. Because here's the thing, if you love people, if you, if you take your life and you say, my life is going to be about giving into the life of another, my life is going to be about worshiping God, I'm going to go vertical and I'm going to go horizontal and I'm going to let God pour through me his love and his life everywhere I go, I'm going to tell you what, as you invest into the lives of others, you are setting up an account in eternity that can never be touched and you're going to experience great reward, not only when you go to heaven, but even in this life. Amen. And we'll actually get to that in a couple of minutes. You'll see that. And, and, and next you'll see that there are great rewards for investing God's gifts and abilities, right? God will increase whatever is he's given us to manage for him. I think it's interesting in that parable, the guy gets five, it says he immediately goes out and trades with it. That's risky. But God was like, you know, the Lord wasn't there like watching his every step. And this is how some of us live. I'm not sure what, if what I'm doing is right. I don't, should I give this? Should I do this? I'm not sure. We're afraid. And it's like he took what God gave him and he went right out and he traded it. He took what God had given him. He said, I'm not just going to dig a hole and bury it in the ground. I'm going to make the most of what I've been given. God has given you life. Make the most of what you've been given. Every day, every breath is precious. Make the most of what you've been given. Every once in a while, that hits me. Does it ever hit you? You're sitting in a moment, maybe with a person you love, maybe looking at a sunset, maybe enjoying something in life, maybe having a good meal, maybe in, in church, in worship, and all of a sudden your eyes are open. It's like the scales are removed, and you recognize this is a holy moment. This is a good life. I've been blessed. I've been poured into. I've been lavished upon. Why have I been so blind to it? And the only thing you can do is say, thank you, God. Now imagine if we could live that way every day. Imagine if we could live with this idea that we've been, we've been given so much by God and he wants us to invest it. Invest it in people. Manage it for him. Love God, love people. There will be a great and eternal reward. This applies to everything. But here's the other truth. Judging God wrongly will result in waste of his gifts, darkness, and the loss of everything. You see, the one man with the one talent he misjudged God. You'll notice that when God turns his question on him, he does it with a question mark. And what he's saying is, if you knew I reaped where I didn't sow, if you knew that I did these things, why, why didn't you just go put my money in the bank? God, see, the master's not agreeing that I'm a hard man and I do. The master's saying, if you really thought that about me, why didn't you at least put it in the bank? And here's the, here's the thing. I see this all the time with people. God gets a bad rap. Think about it. On insurance policies behind every tragedy, acts of God. Right? God always gets a bad rap. If there's a loving God and if God is so good, why does he cause all the suffering in the world? 
Have you looked at most human suffering? Most of the human suffering on this planet isn't caused by God. It's caused by you and me, baby. What he doesn't do is intervene in every situation and stop tragedy from happening. Because if he did, he would effectively take away any freedom. He would effectively take away any will of our own. We would be automatons and robots. Right? So what he does is he lets us, he gave us that gift. He lets us, lets us make decisions to harm another. But if you look at a lot of the garbage on this planet, God gets a bad rap for it, and most of it is caused by us. And this is the way this man was looking at the master. He was looking at the master, and he had decided, this is, you're a hard man. And many people say that of God. God's hard. God's mean. And God's like, okay. You could have at least got some kind of a return. Give me that talent. And this is interesting. I'm going to give it to the guy with 10, and you're out in outer darkness. And weeping and gnashing of teeth, you know, what that, you, know, you know what that's symbolic of? Think about when you're weeping and you're, you, it's, it's just like, Aah! total and complete frustration, separation, the sense that, I, you know, complete self-absorption. See, this guy was completely and totally self-absorbed. And he misjudged God through his own filter, through his own lens. God was a bad guy. And some of us look at God that way. God's a bad guy. He's a mean guy. I've had a hard life, and he did it to me. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He's not mean. He's not a bad guy. He's faithful. In fact, look at his response to these servants. He, he has joy because you took the life I gave you, and you did something with He's like, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on in here. Enter into the joy of your master. He's like, come on in here. I want you to enjoy me and my presence and everything you've given. Is this making sense? So where are some areas then that we can live out this life generously? That we can invest our time, our talents, and our treasures? I want to give some specific areas. Here's the first one. Live generously with your love, your grace, your mercy, and your forgiveness. Listen to this. Anybody here want to be loved? And the tough people out there that are shaking their head, no. Liar. Liar, liar, pants on fire, hanging on the telephone wire. Come on. We all want to be loved. Who here wants to be extended grace in their life? Right? Right? Because anybody in here not mess up regularly like me? I mean, I'm telling you something. My wife has to live with me daily. No, you didn't hear that. Daily. Do you understand living with me? No, you don't, but she does. She has to extend me grace every single day because I mess it up all the time, right? How many of you want to receive mercy in life? Maybe you've heard it this way. Mercy is when God doesn't give us what we deserve, and grace is when he gives us what we don't deserve. It's kindness, it's favor, right? I want that in my life from the people that are close to me, right? So how do you get that? The surefire way for that to happen is to be very generous with all of them. Not because people deserve it, but because they don't deserve it. Just like we don't deserve it. That is grace and mercy. Do you understand? Sometimes we're like, well, they don't deserve it. Exactly. That is the gospel. It is God's kindness and goodness through Jesus Christ to people who don't deserve it. And so we're to live that way with each other. 
I'm going to tell you what, in marriages alone, if people would quit wanting the other to fulfill all their needs and do everything right and would begin to live as though, okay, I'm going to extend as much with God's help, obviously. I'm going to give that person love. I'm going to give them grace. I'm going to give them mercy. I'm going to forgive them over and over again, 70 times seven, because I know something about myself. I'm going to need that from them in five minutes. I'm going to tell you something, 90% of the marriage problems in this church and in our world would be solved instantaneously. But the problem is, we want it given, but we don't want to give it. And all of us are like, you know, give me, give me, come on, I'm only human, give me some grace. We, we love it if it applies to us, but not so much if it applies to the other. Is that true or what? Look what Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. What's he saying? If you're going to get a harvest, you got to plant some stuff. This famous text on giving, oh, look at this text on giving in, the, in context. This is interesting. Luke chapter 6, verse 37 and 38, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure. Think of a basket here. It's being filled with grain. Good measure. Press down, shaken together, and running over. Will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you profound truth. So if I'm out here dispensing mercy and grace and I'm letting someone fail and I'm forgiving them and I'm doing this over and over in their life, I'm finding everywhere I turn in my life mercy and grace and forgiveness and love is coming back to me. It'll be poured into my lap because the measurement I'm using, but listen, if I'm measuring out little thimbles of grace and mercy and love every once in a while just to let them know how magnanimous I am and how good I am, well, here's a little sprinkle of grace. Oh, not good enough for you? Great. And then all of a sudden, I go, through my, I go through my trash in life, and I'm like, I want understanding. I want love. I want people to show me mercy and grace, and you can't understand why it's not coming your way. It's because you haven't been sowing the seed. You haven't been planting. There's nothing to harvest. You go out to the field, and it's barren. Right? I love this quote. Plant large quantities of love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness because you will need a large harvest of them later. Isn't that a great quote? That's from a guy named Doug Sherman. <laughs> Amen. Secondly, live generously with your time. Your time belongs to God. Use your, way, your time in ways that honor him and bless others. Consider this. Consider tithing or giving offerings of your time in service to your local church or to a place like Serve Moses Lake or Crossroads Resource Center or Youth Dynamics or, find, or the food bank. Find a place where you can give out of yourself where it doesn't benefit you, where it's not about you feeling good even about yourself. That'll be the byproduct. But where it's all about, I'm going to live for the sake of another. I was talking with a young man recently who was going through some stuff, and I noticed he was completely self-absorbed. Anybody else get like that? 
you know, you go through your stuff and all of a sudden you just, you turn your eyes upon the vortex of the dark hole, the dark pit, the black hole of self, and you just can't get out of it. And I was trying to give him input and you know what I told him? I said, here's something I want you to do. I want you to, every morning when you wake up, I want you to wake up and I want you to ask God to show you people today that have a need and I want you to find a way to bless them and help them. Because I'm telling you, the only way you get out of that stuff is you got to start looking somewhere else other than self. Am I talking to anybody? Come on. Amen. Look at what Psalm 39, 4 through 6 says. i got to hurry here. Oh, Jesus, help me. O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths. And my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Selah. You see, we don't like to think like that. We think that's morbid thinking, but it's not. It's wise thinking. It is wise for us to consider the shortness of life. I was telling the first service, you know, I'm going to be 54 in April. And I remember coming here as a 23-year-old youth pastor and then being a 28-year-old lead pastor. And I've watched babies be born and those babies graduate from high school, college, get married, and now have babies in the time I've been here as a pastor. And I want to tell you something. It went by like that. I watched all four of my children go from being babies. I was there when they were delivered to now they're adults and they have their, having their own families and living their own lives. And I'm going, what the heck happened? And when you're young, you think it's going to last forever. And all of a sudden you start, you get into your 40s and you start going, whoa, life's going by fast. Then you hit 50 and you're like, this is freaking me out. And it feels like that car's going faster and faster downhill, right? And you begin to assess life differently. You start to look at the future and you start to go, well, I have maybe, you know, if I, my family kind of lives, you know, I'm, I might have 30, 35 years. My grandpa lived to 92. I'm claiming it in Jesus' name. <laughs> right? You start doing stuff like that, you, and you start thinking, let me see, how did the last 30 years go? Oh, all right. I don't even know if I have tomorrow, and neither do you. So he says, sila, and sila means to sit and think about it with some musical accompaniment. Oh, yeah, I'm getting that. Uh-huh, right? And then look at the next verse. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. What's the psalmist saying? We're out here running here and there to get stuff and to acquire and get stuff and to acquire and to have a good time and to get stuff and acquire and at the end of it all we die and somebody else gets it. And we're like, that's morbid. No, it is good, wise thinking. So for, it's wise for us to regularly think about how short our lives are. It's good for us to consider what we're doing with the little time we've been given. God has determined the number of our days, and we have an opportunity to give our time to loving God and loving people well by serving Him and His people. Spend your time, invest your time, God's time in your life, doing something that counts. Amen? 
And your jobs count. By the way, I just want to say this. Your jobs count. A lot of you are like, well, you know, if you saw where I work, let me tell you what. Where you work is your mission field. Where you work is other people. Where you work is your way you care for your family. It's all about your perspective. If you start seeing your job as a gift from God, and I'm going to make the best of what I got right here, right now, today, and quit whining and complaining and cursing your field with your own words and start blessing them and saying, I'm going to make the best of what I got, and then if I do a good job here, even though it might be a crappy little job, and my boss might be a knucklehead, I'm praying for him, bless him, Lord. Even though that might be true, God's going to give you a greater reward later. He's going to favor you. Make the most of what you got, amen? Live generously with your talents. Your talents belong to God. Use them to honor God. Consider giving the first and best of your gifts and talents to him. You know, when you serve in the church, you're not doing us a favor. You're fulfilling your purpose. Sometimes there are people who are like, yeah, I'm going to sign up. You know, I kind of want to help you guys out. You know, I'm God's gift to mankind and the ladies. Right? That kind of an attitude, it's like, you know, no, you're, we appreciate people serving, but listen, don't. Don't deceive yourself. There's plenty of people who can do it with the right attitude, right? It's, it's not doing us a favor. We're the church, right? We're the church. It's not like, you know, Pastor Doug and the staff, they're the church and we're helping them, you know, do their thing. No, we're the church. We're helping us do his thing. <laughs> Got it? Beautiful. Okay, live generously with your treasures. I'm almost done. As they say, I'm coming in for a landing. But I might circle the airport a few times. I'm almost done. Stay with me. Live generously with your treasures. We've been talking about that all service. But listen to what Pastor Stephen Cole shared. This will blow you away. After I read this in the first service, I almost fell on my face and started wailing. Okay, you ready? I read of a church of 400 members in Thailand where every member tithes, every member. In their case, tithing is sacrificial giving because the members all make only the U.S. equivalent of 20 cents a day plus their rice. I have people, I can't afford to give. You can't afford not to. Okay. But because they give sacrificially, listen to this, 20 cents a week. Because they give sacrificially, they're able to support their own pastor. They have sent two missionary families to other hard-to-reach areas and they generously help other poor people. One other fact about them, each member of this church has leprosy. Okay, right now, let us all repent that we're not even Christians. <laughs> I mean, I read that and I'm like, Lord, change my heart. Change my heart. Make me generous. I want to live like that. That's incredible. What an example. Thank you, Lord, for our brothers and sisters in Thailand, in that colony. Thank you for using them. And lastly, the, a generous life will reap many rewards. Here are some rewards really quickly. Here we go. You, you thought I said lastly earlier, didn't you? Somebody just laughed. Okay, no. Number one, here's, here are the rewards. Number one, the reward of managing more and pleasing God. Remember after that parable, at the end of that parable, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little, over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. There's nothing like pleasing God. You know, after you walk with Jesus for a while, you start to realize that the greatest thing to seek in life is the smile of God. The greatest pleasure you can ever have is to know that 
You're loved, you're favored, God's happy with you, you're doing what you were created to do, you're running in the pleasure of God, and you know his favor, you know his smile, and he's just, you, you, you live for that, right? And not only that, but when you've been faithful with what you've been given, he makes you ruler over more. He says, okay, I can count on you, I can trust you, here you go. How about the reward of increased material goods to share? Yeah. Look at these verses. Now, a lot of people have a hard time with this, and I want to say this really uh, quick just to be sure you understand. We're not a prosperity church. We're not one of those churches that teach, you know, health and wealth, just name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, confess it and possess it. Okay, that's not us. But you can't get away from a reality in the Bible, and that is that people that are generous with what they've been given seem to always have more coming through their life. It's just a reality. Look at these verses, Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with new wine. Look at Proverbs eleven twenty four 24 and 25. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will, will themselves be refreshed. What a principle. We think because our age teaches us, hold on to get more. The scripture teaches us, give away. And God will go, wow, I'm going to make sure I give that person more and more because whenever I give them, they give it away. They bless. They're a conduit. How about this one? New Testament, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Plenty left over to share with others. Plenty left over to share with others. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. You've heard this many times here, but that word cheerfully is the Greek word hilarious. It literally is. Go do a word study on it. It's pronounced differently in Greek, like hilarious, right? But it's the word hilarious. It's saying this, when you give, like... <laughs> That's hilarious giving. That was pretty good, huh? And lastly, there's a reward in your giving that makes an eternal difference. A generous person's giving will impact the world for eternity. People will be rescued from sin, helped in practical ways, and experience God because you gave. The principle of generous giving is everywhere in the Bible. The other principle and truth that is inescapable is this. If you give freely and generously in every area of life, God will give back to you abundantly. Listen to this. If God can give it through you, he will give it to you. I'm not advocating giving to get, but if you're a true giver, God will give you much more than you need, and you'll never be able to outgive Him. And that is in every area of life, time, talents, treasures, all that you've been giving. If you live life generously like that, you'll just find that you're always having more 
come your way. If you give out a lot of love, you're going to get a lot of love. If you're a merciful person and you're patient and long-suffering and merciful with people, you're going to receive a lot of mercy. If you're gracious and kind to people who don't deserve it, remember, grace means giving favor to someone who doesn't deserve it. And you're gracious to those who don't deserve it at those times in your life when you don't deserve grace, you deserve judgment, you're going to get a lot of grace. It's powerful. Life-changing beautiful. And it's all because he who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, will he not with him give us everything we need? Isn't that the truth? Amen?